This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you're wondering if God can truly move in the life of someone with all the odds stacked against her, look no further than Tori Hope Peterson. Tori grew up in the foster care system, a biracial child in a confusing and volatile world. Growing up with a mentally ill mother and living in 12 different foster homes, nothing was in her favor. And yet, even with a minuscule chance of graduating college and a great risk of being homeless, jobless, and on drugs, Tori overcame every negative stereotype and assumption that attacked her identity. However, Tori will tell you she did not overcome, Christ did. In the face of the darkness, the difficulty, and the damage, Jesus made a way for Tori to find profound hope, deep faith, renewed purpose, and a loving family. If you want to learn more about the foster care system from a former foster youth perspective, this book is for you. If you want to better dwell in the reality of your own spiritual adoption by our Heavenly Father and better understand the orphan and the widow that He loves dearly, this book is for you. Ultimately, if you want to remember who God is and what He can do through the most unlikely of people, Fostered is for you. Find it today at LifeWay.com. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Heineman and I am here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey Kelly. Hey Elizabeth. We have a new friend on the podcast today. I know. This is like our first time meeting her as well Hi. as maybe some of our audience and so that's really exciting. Today we have Tori Hope Peterson on the podcast. Hello Tori. Hello. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, we are so excited to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your ministry. Sure. So right now I live in Albert Lee, Minnesota with my husband, our two babies, and we also have an adopted older son. Um, my, my ministry mostly revolves around um, underserved populations, specifically the foster care community, um, because I grew up in the foster care system. And so... We serve those that the foster care system impacts um, or those that it could easily impact because of their situation. Yeah, it's such a huge ministry. And I mean, I know that I have been impacted by that kind of ministry because I have a nephew that they have fostered a child and now he's part of their forever family. And they just found out there was a biological sister. And so they just got her last week. So we are, that family's just growing and we're seeing God using that in some amazing ways. And I, I, I'm glad that you consider that your ministry. You know, I think some people think of it as a system and it, it is really a ministry. And so I appreciate that. And your new book is called Fostered. So, Tell us a little bit about, you, you mentioned that you grew up in the, the foster care, you know, that and that was your life, but tell us a little bit about your own story and then maybe your hopes for the book. Yeah, first off, I love what you said. Um, I believe that all of life is ministry, right? But all of us kind of specialize in, in maybe a certain something. But if you're a Christian and you're meeting someone at the gas station who you've never met before, um, 
and, you know, you just having a conversation with them. That's ministry, too. So my book um, is about me growing up in the foster care system, um, but also about me growing up with my biological mother. My biological mom um, is diagnosed with severe mental illness, and that had a great impact on me growing up. And then I went into the foster care system twice, one time as a toddler and then another time as an adolescent. And the book, its purpose, it's so funny, when I wrote it, I would totally say that I wrote it to youth who have experienced foster care, kids who had experienced traumatic, um, anything traumatic growing up like abuse or neglect. Um, But then as I've continued in my ministry and as I've put the book out there just for people for endorsements. Um, It's been such a resource to foster parents, those who serve, um, those who are underserved, um, nonprofit organizations. And that's been such an encouragement because um, when I wrote it, it was really just for the kid that, it was the book that I needed when I was in foster care to understand who God says I am and that the suffering and the pain would not be in vain. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what are, you kind of talked a little bit about maybe some of this or hinted at it, but what are some of the misconceptions that people have about foster care and, and the kids that find themselves in it? Probably that the youth in foster care are bad kids, especially teens. So 40% of teens who enter the foster care system for the very first time go to live in a residential facility that they do not meet the qualifications for. And that's because there are so few people and foster parents willing to take older children. Oftentimes people get into foster care because it's a way to adopt that is cost-free and actually that you are subsidized or paid for. And so people don't usually want to, sadly, they don't want to adopt older children. And I think there is a misconception that those youth are bad kids and really they've just had bad things happen to them. And I really believe that when a kid has a community and people wrapping around them, loving them, pursuing them, not speaking over them like you're a bad kid, it really, it it can transform transform the child and we can actually prove to society that these kids are not bad kids but how do you how do you show you know the whole world that you're not a bad kid if um, no one is willing to walk alongside you and and believe it with you yeah you know Tori I'm curious like what is the average time that maybe a child spends in a foster home do you know do you happen to know that you know, I do not know the average time that kids spend in foster care. I'm sure that is an easy Googleable thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I just made a word Googleable. It might also uh, depend on the on the state because I feel like that's something that changes yeah. the rules of, about foster care. I know yeah. my average stay was like five to six months, and I lived okay. in twelve different homes. So I think yeah. it depends though on every kid. Yeah. Wow. But I, I do think that that is, like, that's not uncommon for children who are placed in foster homes. Like, they can be moved around quite a bit, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, especially for older youth, a lot of people, the, 
a large part of the foster care community is also the infertility community. And so oftentimes people are headed into the foster care system because they'd like to adopt an infant. They'd like to do an infant adoption. Um, and so kids, older kids in foster care, I would definitely say I was treated and they are treated as kind of like a second rate kid. And um, I remember in one of my homes, they were they struggled with infertility and it was such so sad to see the mom go through that like truly but she had me moved because she she wanted younger children um and she didn't want to adopt like she decided with me being placed with her that they they thought they would try um to adopt an older kid um because there aren't as many as many infants in the foster care system. The best way to go and to do infant adoption is through an adoption agency um, where birth mothers are making an adoption plan for their babies. So um, there are a lot of older youth in the system. And, but they, they, so for that reason, they thought, okay, we'll give it a try. And then she decided like, no, I really want to adopt an infant. And I was moved for that reason. And yeah. Yeah. I feel like I I have several friends that have, um, been foster parents and are foster parents and have adopted. And I know that that's true. Like the infants, sometimes it's just a matter of like the system of it all. <laughs> the fact that like, if there is an infant in foster care, they're trying to reunite her with her biological family. And so, um, sometimes that can take that, all that can take a long time. And so by the time they are, eligible for adoption. They're no longer an infant anyway. And so I know that's definitely something, um, there's a need, there's a big need there for older children, um, fostering and adoption. And that's something to, that we as a church should consider for sure. Tori, one of the things that I think about is when teenagers, especially in the foster care system, maybe they age out when they become 18 and maybe that's a, a place where they fall through the cracks. Um, talk a little bit about like what, why is that so hard, and what happens to those kids, and and some of the problems that we that exist there. Yeah, um, I mean it's really different for every youth who has experienced the foster care system. I feel like the more that I tell my story, and people say, "Wow, Tori, your story is amazing." The more I tell my story, the more I realize that it's not so much a story of the amazing things I did, but the amazing things that a church and community did. You know, they came together and they fought for the one and they loved me. And so when I had emancipated out of the foster care system, I chose to emancipate out of the system because it was challenging. I felt burned by the system. Um, and I felt like I wouldn't, I actually would have less opportunities if I stayed in. So I chose to emancipate out of the system. And I think the reason I didn't fall through the cracks, um, like, and when, when I say fall through the cracks, you know, the statistics are that 85% of people who have experienced trafficking in America have touched the foster care system. 50% graduate high school, only 3% go on to get a bachelor's degree or higher, 20% experience homelessness the day they turn 18. And so 
That's what I mean when I say fall through the cracks. And I feel like I didn't experience um, those statistics to the extent that so many youth do because, one, I understood and knew my identity in Christ. My church had done such a good job at just encouraging me and pouring love into me. And then I had the church rally around me and continue to encourage me and offer me a place um, and a family when when I didn't have any. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit more, um, actually, because one of our questions that we had are, what are some of the ways that churches and even individual especially individual women, because that's who our audience is. So how can like an individual woman, a church, come around people who are either foster parents or foster kids and and encourage them um, and kind of do exactly what you said your church did for you? Like what are some tangible, practical ways to do that? When I look at what my church did, they really just used like every individual they used the gifts that God had given them and met me where I was. So my the two I had like three um, people who were really really impactful in my life. The first one was my track coach. He um, wasn't a teacher during the day. He had no certification, but he was at practice day in and day out, and he encouraged me. He told me the vision that he saw for my life very clearly. And it was very, very encouraging to me. I never really heard um, anything like that before he spoke that over me. And then I felt like the church, I, I got into the church and then they started speaking life into me. But my track coach was really the start of it. And he was one of the most consistent people in my life. And he didn't, you know, do anything grandeur or, or like superior, amazing. Like he just came to the track spoke encouragement over me and was my track coach and he was consistent you know he showed up every day and he was my most consistent person for three years and then the other most influential person was um, just a sweet woman named Tanya she wasn't my youth leader she was like a chaperone in the youth youth area youth church I guess and she I remember one time so she invited me and a bunch of other young women who had come from harder places in the community and she would invite us to her house every week and one time we were doing a craft and I was like this is a small group like why aren't we reading the bible and she said well sometimes you don't just have to tell people about Jesus sometimes you have to show people Jesus and she was really the epitome of what that looked like, um, just bringing me and my sister into our home before we went into the foster care system. So we went into the system um, one day before Christmas Eve. And she didn't want us to spend Christmas with a family who didn't know us, who didn't have gifts for us. And so she said, you know, I'll take them um, just for like for Christmas. And she didn't, you know, she always says, and I know it's true that she wanted to take us permanently, but she was very scared. My mom had made a lot of threats, um, a lot of very scary threats um, that made it very reasonable why um, she didn't feel safe um, taking us in. And so, but she took us in for that Christmas. And I remember I got, so she got the church to get me all of these presents. And then I asked her if I could return them 
to Walmart to get, you know, like new colors and gift cards so I could buy different things. And it was the day after Christmas. And she said, yes, you know, and I just like, I, now I understand that that was so like ungrateful. (laughs) And of course I like never should have asked such a thing, but I was like young and immature and ridiculous. And she sat in the Walmart return return line with me, you know, the day after Christmas. (laughs) And I, I got to be an adult and now she's, Tanya's my best friend. She's my mom. Mm -hmm. I love her so much. She's my minister, my mentor. She's just everything to me. And I looked at her and I was like, why in the world did you let me do that? Like, why did you not say that I was an ungrateful little girl? And, you know, I'm like, why did you wait in that line with me? And she was just like, you know, that's not what would have communicated love to you in that moment. And she was exactly right. And But you know what? It communicated love to me now. Like it is one of the, it's one of the things that I think about so often before I go into like preacher mode on the people that I minister to or before I, you know, tell them what they should do. I think, is this going to communicate love to them in this moment? And so it was just really all these people who rallied around me. And I could seriously tell you stories of so, I, I could, we could spend days I could tell you stories of people in my church who just in little ways like loved me. And because it was a bunch of people in a bunch of little ways, it was really this really big thing that brought me to Jesus and changed my life. Yeah. I love. Yeah. I was thinking like, I just love the the coach story too. Yeah. You know, them doing what they do, but they, I'm sure that they didn't even realize the impact maybe that he was making, but Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just think teachers and coaches, they can be such heroes to, you know, all kinds of kids. And just the consistency. I think that's a good word for, for all of us um, who are serving in churches or in, you know, in roles like teacher or coach. Just the consistency and how that speaks to um, a lot of kids who you may be the only consistent person in their life or one of very few. And so that's um, a big, that kind of adds a weight a little bit to it. And I think that's something that, uh, we can be aware of and that can be encouraging and challenging at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like I shouldn't minimize either. Like I do feel like I have this, this gift from God almost to like, see, like, I don't necessarily perceive things in like this negative critical light. Um, I really, I look at the things, like I could have looked at my church and in some ways said that they failed me, said that they weren't enough. Um, But I do think that when we are actually, you know, listening to scripture, reading scripture, listening to sermons and understanding what God says about who he is and who we are, we see him, you know, we see him in the work of his people. And so I felt like from you know, the time that I was saved at 17, God had given me the eyes to see what his people were doing for me um, to draw me even closer to him. Oh, yeah. Well, and even just your own experience has impacted you in the way that you're now, yourself, you've been fostering other children. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, my husband and I, we did a short stint of fostering and we adopted um, an adult and I have a heart for adult adoption because 
my track coach actually ended up adopting me and taking me in, welcoming. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I emancipated the day I turned 18. And then um, maybe like a month or two, two months later, he, you know, said, I I talked to my daughters and we want to welcome you into our family and we want our home to be your home. And he is the man who walked me down the aisle. Um, he is the man who, you know, I, I went back to his house and to his family for every holiday since I went to college. Um, he's my dad. Um, and he's the dad that I, I always prayed for. I just asked God, you know, I, I, growing up, I was always like, God, just give me a dad. And not understanding that he was the best dad of all. You know, he had always been there loving me, protecting me. Um, but then he gave me Scott and I'm, yeah, I just, that, that is what's given me a heart for adult adoption. Um, these young people who are, you know, 17, 18, 19, they still need a family. Um, so we adopted our son, our now son, Sar, and we're taking a break from foster care because, so I didn't say this, um, but after my first foster home, I was separated from my biological sister. Me and my sister went into the system together. Um, and I try and protect her the best I can um, in my story because she's just a kid. Still, we're 10 years apart. And um, we're moving now so that she's going to live with us. So we're going to be kinship providers mm. um, by the end of the month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the idea of, and I think that a lot of people don't think about that, the adult adoption and how that is such a need. Because if you think about when you were in your, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old self, you need, like you were saying, just a place to come home to, um, a place to spend your holidays um, and things like that. And just, you know, thinking through like, you know, the times that I had to call my own parents in college and just be like, mm-hmm. I just need someone to help me navigate this situation. Yeah. And so just providing that for someone is such a need. And it, I don't think it's something that a lot of people realize is a need or think about. And well, so thanks for bringing that I up. I actually think it's not something that people even know is an option. Yeah. Like we tell people that we adopted our son after he turned 18 and people are like, you can adopt an adult. Right. <laughs> like nobody really knows that. And so, of course, how, like how could you even think about it if you don't even know it? And I think that now I'm really proud of where the foster care community is, where it's headed. And I'm really proud. I think the conver- the conversations in the churches are, we're more concerned about youth and foster care. We're more concerned about the orphan. Um, I think that, you know, Obviously, teens are, they still need homes, but I do think that we see the need there. But if you look back, like the kids that are my age, like now, most of the kids who, you know, aged out when they turned 18 that were in my generation of foster care, if they're adopted, they were adopted as adults because we're now starting to see like the importance of these kids needing a family to call, you know, to call forever and to say, you know, that's, that's my home. And I do have a place and I am loved. Like we're seeing the importance of that really just now it feels like. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. So I I follow you on Instagram and (laughs) I have noticed that you have done 
pageants, you've done some modeling, you've done a TED Talk. So tell us a little bit more about why you got into those kinds of pursuits and then how you've seen them bear fruit and how you've seen them as ministries. Because you talked about before, you see all of life as a ministry. So what are some ministry opportunities that have come out of those things? So John 14, 13 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And while I don't feel like I audibly hear the word of God's, like God saying, do a pageant. Like, right. <laughs> I do feel like all of life is ministry and I will do whatever, whatever is set in front of me so that people will know the love that God has for them. Because that has been the most healing thing for me. Like, you know, no one wants to take me into their home, but God says, I'm going to welcome you into a kingdom and people might not want me to be a part of their family, but God says you're a part of my family and I'm a king. You know, like those are the things that's like, wow, like this is my identity. This is who God says I am. And I want other people who are broken and who don't know their worth and who have went through abuse and feel like that defines them to know that actually God defines them. Who God says they are is, is the truth. And so I, I started, um, speaking. I actually started speaking because I knew, I felt this conviction in my heart that God had called me to write this book, Fostered. And I sent the proposal out to literary agents and they were like, you know, if you're going to write a book, you probably have to be a speaker. And I was like, hmm, I'm not, I don't think I am a speaker. And they're like, you have to be. Like, <laughs> like you can't write a book and not be a speaker. Like, you're going to have to be on podcasts and you're going to have to tell people about your book. And I was like, I went back to the scripture, John 14, 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified to the Son. And so um, that's really how I've gotten into all the little nooks and crannies of, of this ministry. I love that. And I I think that that is something that, um, yeah, I, I love that you put it with that scripture. That's what I'm trying to say. And just, yes, we just do whatever is placed in front of us um, to the glory of God and for His glory and our good. And so I appreciate that you're obedient in that. And I love that you get to do these things that are so fun, um, but also they're they're all for His glory. Absolutely. Okay, Tori, so the question that we always ask, because this is the Marked Podcast, is what is something that has marked you in your walk with Christ? So obviously I've talked a lot about the people who came around me and loved me, and that led me to understand the love that God has for me. And so really, I think that it's those people, you know, those people that have marked me. And there's a scripture that I go back to. And this is a scripture that it's like the center of my life. It is my whole heart. I would say this is the scripture, like when you said marked, I thought this is a scripture that marks my heart. And it's John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, I knew that those people were God's people because their love was crazy and radical. It was so radical that people were like, what are you doing? That girl is trouble. Wash your hands of her. And they were like, no, you know, we're going to love her because she is a child of God. And I do think that, you know, Christianity should be lived out in such a radical way 
that people ask us, like, why are you living like this? And then the only answer is that we get to point to the love of Jesus. And that is what draws, you know, them to him. And so, yeah, that that John 13, 35, that is what marks my, my entire walk with the Lord and the way that I hope to live out my life as a disciple. Because I really believe that, that that word disciple, like the definition of it really is a professional lover of people. Mm. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I think, awesome. I feel like this episode is challenging for all of us in the best way to live out that verse. Um, and especially with these this, these different groups of people in mind. And so I know that's something that I hope that our listeners take away from this is encouragement, but also just the challenge of love people well. Be a professional lover of people. I like that definition of a disciple. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tori, for just being faithful to do the things that the Lord has asked you to be obedient in and, and how you have— you're modeling what you lived. And so we that's really great. And um, we're excited about your new book and just want to encourage our listeners to get to go find it. Whether, you know, whether you're personally, you know, fostering someone or you know some someone that is in that, you know, in that need, um, we can be, we can definitely all be partners in this together. And I think the Lord does call us to love others as, you know, and so uh, that's the way we do that. So thank you, Tori, for, for all your obedience in this. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we hope that you'll go find Tori's book, Fostered, and we appreciate you listening today and we want to see you back here next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.